Hello, wonderful listeners of Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. It's November, which means that in the US, we're celebrating Thanksgiving at the end of the month. It's a season to express our gratitude, and a great way to express gratitude is to pay it forward. And this is why I have chosen to support a wonderful initiative by Will Reynolds, a leader that you will hear from in the month of December, and somebody who in his life has actually shown and walked the walk of paying things forward. I am supporting his initiative two ways. First of all, I have made a donation, And second, I'm going to turn the microphone over to him to tell you what he's doing. After you hear that, I'm going to quickly come back and tell you where you can make a donation to support it. Howdy, friends. I'm Will Reynolds, and I'm sleeping outside on November 19th to raise awareness, but also to raise a boatload of money for homeless youth in the city of Philadelphia. And the reason why this is important to me is we have a cutoff date. When it's your 18th birthday, you're technically an adult. So that means like if you're 17 years old and 364 days, we have support systems for those youth. If you're one day later, there's a lot fewer resources and we throw those youth into adult homeless facilities with a lot less government support. And that is why I'm sleeping outside because the Covenant House, for whom I've been sleeping outside for 12 years to raise money for homeless youth in our city, they focus specifically on that 18 to 22-year-old youth who's probably still more like a kid than they are like an adult. And now they just don't have as many resources. So that's why I'm sleeping out. Would appreciate your support. Thanks so much. As you can tell, it's a wonderful cause. Let me just share what resonated with me on this and why I chose it as something to support this month. The first thing is the fact that it is local to his own community. The second thing is that he's actually doing an action that puts him on the same level as the people that he's helping. And so it shows a tremendous amount of empathy. Third and final is the fact that, as you have heard, he's been doing this for 12 or 13 years, which shows a tremendous amount of commitment and consistency. So if you want to help to donate, go to bit.ly backslash helpwill1122, spelled B-I-T dot L-Y backslash H-E-L-P-W-I-L-1122. Yes, Will's name is spelled with only one L. So once again, it will be H-E-L-P-W-I-L-1122. Thank you so much. Any donation helps. I want sellers to get away from that mentality. That mentality, the hunter-killer mentality, I tell you what, it'll have you on the hamster wheel for the rest of your career. And that's not fun. When when you're in your early 20s, you're you're a hunter-killer, oh, you're feeling like you're, uh, what's that movie? Boiler Room. And and Boiler Room's cool when you're 25, but you know the 60-year-old version of Boiler Room? It's called Glengarry Glen Ross. If you have not watched it, go watch it. That's not fun. Welcome. I am your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In our last episode, we talked about how you can have a portfolio life with Christina Wallace, a Harvard Business School professor. The basic idea is that it's okay and potentially better to think about one's life and career as a portfolio of different experiences rather than a linear career progression like we used to think in the old days. And actually, in the long run, this variety of experiences can help us navigate the complexity of the current world in a more efficient and fulfilling way. Today, we tackle a fascinating topic. Can there be such a thing as being authentic in sales? Our guest, Ronell Richard, is an entrepreneur who spent over two decades in sales. He has been a producer, he has built and led sales organizations in tech and telecom, and he runs a very successful sales training business. His upcoming book, Shut Up and Sell, puts forward a vision of selling that is based on building genuine relationships and meeting your client needs. Basically, Ronell's belief is that successful long-term sales careers are based on constantly delivering more value to your clients than you're getting in return. The exact opposite position of the traditional myth of the great negotiator as someone who captures an overwhelming majority of the value. I can proudly say that in this conversation, Ronell did exactly that. He delivered great value, certainly more than I delivered to him. So you will hear great ideas, fabulous stories, and hopefully by the end of the episode, you will actually realize and believe that it is indeed possible to be a great salesperson and to be authentic in sales. Ronell, 
Uh, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you here. I've wanted to do this for a long time. You're here because in general, salespeople often get a bad rap. And at its best, sales is actually one of the most authentic disciplines. So I'm going to start by asking you a question. What is authenticity to you? Mm, what is authenticity? You know, uh, first of all, Dino, thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm excited about this. It's been a while since we've had the opportunity to chop it up, and, and, and you're such a good guy, and so it's been uh, something I've been looking forward to. Um, all right, so what is authenticity to me, man? I don't think that it, I don't know what Webster says, but for me, it's not that complicated, man. It's it's just being true to yourself. Know thyself. And I, I think it's something that that outside people can't really judge. It's It's something that you judge, you know, is it true to me? Is this who I am? That's what I think authenticity is. For me, you know, I talk a lot about my truth. Even when I'm when I'm coaching, when I'm creating content, I, I, I always, that's a disclaimer. And in my book, I put that disclaimer in there. I said, this is my truth. Like, I don't claim to be the guru on everything. I don't, anyone that claims to have written the Bible on, on this or, or whatever the subject is, I, I think to me, that's, probably not very authentic for me it's just hey look this is my truth and yeah hopefully it helps so yeah for me authenticity is just know thyself being true to yourself being honest so i, I know you've had like a pretty extraordinary story you're a very successful business leader now author and coach and but it was a long way and and you had to really go through a lot to get where you are now so why don't we give an introduction to our listeners, where you come from, you know, what were some of the key moments in, in your life and career, and then where you are now? Okay. All right. Wow. Where do we start? In a, in a galaxy far, far away? <laughs> well, you know, I started my career in Utah, so, so for many, that might seem like a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> I'm one of these these guys that that grew up in an, an entrepreneurial household and in a family that was, for lack of a better term, like always hustling, always making it happen, and hustling in, in the good sense. Words matter, and that's a word that I think right now has kind of been hijacked, right? This whole hustle culture thing, and where it oversimplifies work, hard work, and skips over ethics and morality and all those sorts of things. So when I say hustle, I just mean that we were on that grind, right? My parents uh, always, you know, had multiple businesses and you know, I was always involved in those businesses. So in some, some respects, I feel like I've been in business and sales my whole life. But anyway, I started my professional career in Utah and not a lot of people know this, but I started in retail jewelry sales and you know, the lessons that I learned selling jewelry and the retail environment, you know, 25 years ago have impacted me to this day. Like what I learned there that a lot of corporate sellers don't learn and a lot of entrepreneurs don't learn is how to really serve. Because that, to me, at the end of the day, that's what sales is about. It's about serving. It's about providing solutions that make impact in people's businesses and people's lives and, and building long-term relationships through creating those creating that impact in, in those solutions. So anyway, I started in, in, in retail jewelry sales and, and moved into to management and running some stores and that sort of thing. And then I got into technology sales around two... 2001 yeah 2001 and it has been a long journey in technology ever since then so i started in telecom sales and for those that are familiar with the world at that time it was a bit of the wild wild west in telecom and technology anyway i started in in, in that world started my first company in 2004 ish in the technology world as an indirect channel sales agency created a few of those companies I have, um, fast forward to today, you know, one of the things I don't find very interesting, Dino, is my like past. <laughs> it's always something that feels like, oh, you got to pull it out of me. I, I am such a forward thinking person and present person that like talking about the things that I've done. I'll, usually when, when I'm giving a speech, I'll be like, hey, go to my website. 
because I've got a great designer to put great copy up there. And, and it's not that fun to talk about my past, but I understand for context. Yes, I've been in sales for a long time, created three pretty successful companies. I'm selling technology products. I run a brand called Business and Bourbon today, where I get the opportunity to travel the country and meet with great entrepreneurs and great sales leaders and, and help people to build those type of relationships that I know are critical and, cri and crucial to, to doing great business and yeah, and so that's what I do today in addition to to running my consulting firm, Ronald Richards LLC. And I apologize for the focus on the past, but, but so what I'm interested in, the crucial moments in, as you started to, as you say, know yourself. Yeah. So first of all, you said you started in retail jewelry sales. Did you know that you wanted to start in sales or was more like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start out with a job? And then when was the moment that you realized that that was actually a space for you, the idea of, you know, of sales, because it really became the heart of your career. And it's, it's an expertise that you have finally honed. Well, you know, when I was a kid, again, working in my parents' businesses and working in the ministry with my mother, I had the opportunity to identify a talent that I had. And that talent was to connect with people, you know, make people feel something, which I learned later is a very, very valuable talent in sales, right? Being able to connect and communicate with people. So, you know, when I took that first job in, in, in jewelry, at the time I'm in college and I'm just like, hey, look, these guys look like they make some money. You know, they're like the kings of them all. <laughs> they wear nice suits. They drive nice cars. Let, let me go in there and try to get one of these jobs. So I wouldn't apply and end up getting a job at, at a jewelry store that I'm grateful to this day for working at you know, with this particular company, they were a hundred year old Jewish owned jewelry store. So whatever you're picturing in your, in your mind, that's exactly what it was. And just values, they really taught a respect, a respect for sales and a respect for, for business. Right. I mean, you don't stay around for a hundred years without doing something right. Right. And really uh, understanding how to, how to nurture relationships and how to, to build customer loyalty. So I learned early on, that's why I say it impacted me so much. I learned early on the importance of building relationships, the importance of service, true service to customers, right? So yeah, at that point, I think the stars kind of align. It's like, hey, look, there's this natural talent and ability that I have to connect with people and to communicate with people. And this is, I felt like a great way and the best way for me to display those talents. So there was, there was no turning back at that point. You know, a lot of people spend a, a, a long time, spend their whole careers trying to figure out where their talents are and where their passions are. And I was lucky enough to be able to figure that out right off the bat. Were there any moments, formative moments in your career of like things to do or not to do that started shaping the cardinal principles that you used? to this day to teach people how to be effective salespeople. Absolutely. So in my book, Shut the Hell Up and Sell, part of what I've done in this book is, is I wanted to share stories from my career, from my life that have helped to create the philosophies that I have around sales, right? Because a lot of times in sales, we talk about execution. We talk about, we just talk about execution. We talk about tactics. We talk about strategies, but there's not enough talk about philosophy, understanding the why we do certain things. So I'll share a brief story with you that comes from the, that's actually in the book. And this is, is the chapter that I call the gold watch. And so, you know, there was one of these days I'm sitting in a jewelry store and this gentleman walks in the store, right? And he just looks like money, Dino. I'm telling you, like the guy is like, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old at the time. So I'm thinking he, he was probably like 58, but I'm thinking he's 70 because, you know, we, we think everybody's super old when we're 20. <laughs> anyway, so he walks in the store and he's just got that bronze skin. Like he's just living his best life, right? Like, he, like he's on the golf course every day. And so he walks into the store. And he pulls off this Rolex presidential, puts it on the countertop, and he needs to get it serviced, right? If, for your listeners that don't know about, you know, watches like, like those types of watches, they have an automatic movement in there that needs to be serviced every now and then. And just like a, an oil change in your car, you got to clean it out, make sure that it's, that it's running properly. So he pulls out this Rolex presidential, which is a watch that you don't see very often, 
right? It's a very expensive watch. You don't see very often. I'm nervous. He pulls it out and, and says, hey, can, can I get this service? So I write out the ticket. Okay, thank you, sir. Write out the ticket. Give him his ticket. Take the watch in and tell him that I'm going to have the watch back in two days, right? Because that's how long it takes. We send it out to a watchmaker who does the work, sends it back two days. Two days later, he shows up and I'm a little bit nervous because again, this, this guy's money, right? I'm a little intimidated. He shows up and I go into the drawer to pull his watch out. Can't find his watch. <laughs> the, the envelope is not there for his, with his watch in it. So I'm like, okay, oh, Jesus. So I call my watchmaker. I say, hey, look, man, I don't have this watch. And I give him the ticket number and everything. And he says, yeah, we'll have that back tomorrow. I said, okay. So now, you know, I'm nervous and I've got anxiety. I'm trying to figure out, okay, what I'm going to tell this guy. So I say, to, I say to the man, I say, listen, sir, unfortunately, the watchmaker has not finished your watch. It'll be back tomorrow. And he says to me something that has stuck to me to this day. He says, I want you guys to pay attention to this. Always keep your word. Always keep your word is what he told me. And here's what I learned from that. That wasn't his problem. It was my problem. And it's my job as the salesperson, as the business person to be the advocate for my customer, right? Yeah. Was it my fault? No, it wasn't my fault. But I had to take accountability for it. And so what I learned from, again, from that experience is that as sellers, it's our job to always advocate for the customer, always be on their side, and to make sure that they know that we're on their side and that we're working for them. And so, you know, when I think back on that experience, this guy was a, was a high net worth guy, clearly. I never saw him again after that day, by the way. He came back and picked up his watch. I wasn't working the day he, he picked up his watch. But what was the opportunity I, I might have missed out on? He was a high net worth guy. If I became a hero for him, what more could I have done, you know, to advocate for him? Maybe I go and go get the watch from the watchmaker, hold the watch, hold the watchmaker accountable, or pick that watch up the next day and deliver it to this man on the golf course as he's about to tee off. There's so many different things that I probably could have done differently to take accountability and ownership, right? And to create a relationship. Here's why you want to do that in sales. Because it's a long game, man. It's the long game. The most successful sellers understand that it's all about connecting and building relationships, because when you when you've been in the game as long as I have, you understand that it's not about it's not just about what I'm doing for you today. It's not just about selling you something today. It's about selling you something 10 years from now, 5 years from now. And when you make that sort of impact, when you advocate for people, you will build those types of relationships. And that's something I learned in the jewelry industry. Again, I worked for a company that was around for 100 years. That means that they were selling Jed, they sell his, his wedding ring, they sell Jed's son, Justin, his wedding ring, they sold Jed's grandson, Jeremiah, his wedding ring. Like, that's how you do it, right? That's how you build these, these types of relationships. So, that's one of the stories I share in the, in the book. And the reason I've shared these stories is I want people in sales to understand why we do the things that we do. Or why you should do the things that I'm teaching in the book. And I'm trying to do that in a way by creating stories that I feel, not creating stories, but bringing stories from my life that I feel are relatable and that people can emotionally connect with, like that one. And you know, what I love about the story and how you're telling it is that ultimately the, the long-term idea behind it is that you build lasting relationship by making sure that you're always delivering your customer more value than they're giving you. And that's how you build longstanding relationships. You had a natural talent for forming relationships. A lot of people have a natural talent for forming relationships. There's a very important additional skill that exists in sales, which is the ability to actually ask for the sale, ask for the money. And that is not necessarily a natural skill that we have, because especially when you're young and starting out, is something that people are maybe embarrassed about or maybe shy about. What were some of the moments where you started developing that side of the skill? So here's the thing. Early on in my sales career, that was just, I guess, natural. I don't want to say maybe not natural, but something that 
that we all go into sales feeling like that's something we we got to be sharks we have to be mercenaries we got to hunt and kill right and the more successful sellers early on lean really lean into that however what i talk about in my book and i want to share with people is the flaw in that there's a flaw in that that hunter killer so I, I took great pride in being a mercenary let me tell you something early in my career like hunt kill next hunt, kill, next. And what you learn is that when you have that mentality, that impacts your ability to build these long-term relationships that I'm talking about. What I learned is that when you are truly in service of your client, this became more apparent in corporate sales as I created my own companies and trained and hired you know hundreds of salespeople. When you are truly in service of your customer, and you're providing impactful solutions, and you know what matters most to them, sales happen organically. This is a concept I talk about in my book. It's called, I call it the organic sell. It starts with doing the right things on the front end, right? Like, you know, Dino, if I know what matters to you, right? Dino, you, you've been running a marathon. You're run, you've run a like literally running a marathon, okay? You're on the 19th mile, and you're thirsty as hell. You haven't had anything to drink. And I'm standing there with a cup of water. Dino, are you going to knock that cup out of my hand and be like, screw that? No, you're going to drink that water up, right? That's what I'm talking about. This is the organic sell. When we know what matters the most to our clients and we present, present our solution in ways that impact what matters most. And this is a concept that sellers struggle with because they think it's because they make it all about them. They make it all about them and they make it all about their product and service. Listen, I have sold technology products. What I've taught my sellers over the years is how to make that technology product impact whatever matters most to the customer. And it could be something totally unrelated to that technology, right? It could be an HR concern. But when I present my solution, if I've done the, the work, if I've done the work to understand what they really care about, in their business, aside from what I do, when I craft my solution, I can make sure that I'm hitting on what matters the most to them in their business, in their job, right? It craft my solution or paint my solution in a way to where it impacts that because it can if you do it right. So that's one of the concepts that I teach in the book is the organic sale. So I want sellers to get away from that mentality because with that, men that mentality, the hunter killer mentality, I'll tell you what, it'll have you on the hamster wheel for the rest of your career. And that's not fun. You, when when you're in your early twenties, you're you're a hunter killer. Oh, you you, you know you're feeling like you're uh, what's that movie Boiler Room? And, and Boiler Room's cool when you're 25, but you know the uh, 60 year old version of Boiler Room? It's called Glen Gary Glen Ross. If you have not watched it, go watch it. That's not fun. Oh my God, you're making me laugh. I think Boiler Room is one of my favorite scenes ever is when Giovanni Ribisi is at home Saturday morning and the guy calls him to sell him the New York Times. He's like, no, sell me, sell me, sell me. So the guy gives you this incredible pitch. like, going to buy the subscription? No, everybody should watch that scene. <laughs> Great sales training. So you mentioned that you were, you know, on the hamster wheel, killing and hunting in your youth. And then you started over time, really concepting this different approach. What was the moment like when you really sort of transitioned into this and where their aha moments were maybe the hunting and killing didn't turn out the way you wanted it to be on the way there? I would say that this isn't something that I figured out early on. No, I mean, it took thousands of customers, thousands of customers. And if I'm being brutally honest, probably 2016, 2015-ish to where the light bulb starts going off. And think about that, how far that is into my sales career and my career as a successful entrepreneur. Okay. Like at that time, I'm running a company that I've been running for about 10 years, 11 years, and um, we're very successful. But I'm looking at our database and I'm looking at our client list. And at that point in time, they're probably, we had sold maybe 10 to 12,000 customers over that period of time. And 
what we were missing is repeat customers. <laughs> we didn't have, we weren't selling them anything else. We'd make that initial sell, move on to the next. And so I started to see the flaw in the philosophy at that point. Now, in my personal career, at the same time, now I'm, I'm you know, 15 plus years into my professional career in, in technology, and I can see in my personal business or personal plus professional business, I'm talking about outside of this, the sales that we were doing in my company, I'm seeing the impact of these long-term relationships that I have, right? Like people that I've did business with a decade ago, 12 years, you know, that I'm doing business with now. I'm seeing the impact of that. I'm seeing the impact of my reputation over time. But yet, you know, with our customer base and the company I was running at the time, we weren't getting any repeat customers. And so you were on that hamster wheel every single month to, to hit numbers. And so what I learned through all of that is that the fastest way, and this is a, something I teach my clients today, the fastest way to new money is old money. You're already a known commodity. They know you. You've hopefully built some positive equity with them. So, you know, that taught me to have an increased focus on um, existing customer relationships, right? Because not only going back to what I said, as far as the old money being the fast way to new money, not only can you get more share of wallet from them, but you can get referrals. And, you know, that speeds up the sales cycle because what I've learned over the years in sales, we spend most of our time just trying to build credibility, so if you can get the credibility piece out of the way, and that's what happens when, when a referral comes from a trusted source, you, you're like halfway there already. So you mentioned that you were running a company for 15 years, and then you had your, your sort of your additional personal business. The transition from producer to leader is not a natural transition for many, right? So what were some of the steps that you took, and how did you start thinking about yourself as a leader versus the producer? Wow, I love that. Okay, that what a great, great topic and great question. So I'm going to talk about myself, but I'm going to talk about others because I'm a little bit different. That was not hard for me. Some people would call me a natural leader. I would agree with that. Like leadership, going back to primary school has always been something that came easy to me. What I mean by that is I was never afraid of the spotlight and I wasn't afraid of the accountability. That's something that people struggle with as they transition into leadership. They don't really want the account. They want the praise when things go right, but they're, they're, they're not leaning into the accountability and when things don't go right. Right. That's something that for me, I just, I don't know what the hell is wrong with me as a kid. I, I, I wanted that. Like it was cool for me to, make the decision and be wrong and accept accountability for that decision. That's something that I, I really leaned into at, at an early age. Okay. So for me, it was a natural fit. For a lot of people, it isn't. And it takes some work to make that transition. Because when you're going from an individual contributor role, and this is this is part of the flaw in, in sales. And this is why I feel that there, there's so much poor leadership in sales and sales management. Because the track to becoming a sales leader starts with becoming a successful seller, right? An individual contributor. And a lot of folks that, that are successful individual contributors are lone wolves. And they are they don't all necessarily play well with others, right? So you have to transition from the me to we, right? And it has to be about service. It has to be, about, you, know, you guys will hear that a lot from me because this is what I believe, but it, it has to be about service. It has to be about accountability. You know, that's something that also I feel like a lot of people miss. They miss the mark on accountability. When we talk about accountability and leadership, we're usually talking about the people that report to us and their accountability to, there's this guy, I won't say his name, but I worked for this company many, many years ago, a technology company. And when I walked in there the first day, it was crazy. I walk in there the first day and there's this big quote on the wall. And it was a pretty big eh, regional technology telecom company. There's a big quote on the wall. And it said, quota is your commitment to the firm. And then it had this guy's name underneath it, right? And I'm like, 
okay, who the hell is this guy? I'm thinking he's some philosopher. Some he was like the director of sales. I don't know who the hell quotes themselves and put it on the wall. It's pretty crazy. But anyway, he didn't get it. And that was a whole bunch of years ago for me, but he didn't get it. As leaders, it's our responsibility to be accountable to the people that we lead, right? They fail, we fail. And so, you know, my advice to people making that transition is to first understand that they are your responsibility. Their success, your, your, the people that report to you, their success is your responsibility. Now, does that mean they don't have any personal accountability? Sure, they have accountability. But when the accountability starts with you, it changes everything. It changes the way that your, your report tos interact with you. It changes the way that your other internal stakeholders react with you. And that'll get you started. There are a whole lot of other things that we can talk about. That'll get you started down the right course to being successful in sales leadership when you understand that the accountability starts with you first. I love this. What are some of the key things as a leader that you're accountable for to your sales team. There's a part that they should be accountable for and a part that you should be accountable for. So if you're setting up a successful sales team, what are some of like, like the, the really practical and tactical things that you can do as a leader to ensure success for your team? Yeah, well, the first thing is resources, right? You have to do everything in your power to make sure they have the adequate resources to do the job. All right. Second thing I would say is you have to coach and lead people as individuals. No one's the same. You have to understand where I talk about, we talked about earlier in this conversation about sales and the customer and understanding what matters most to the customer. As a sales leader, you have to do that same thing with your, your salespeople because there's this dirty little assumption that that sales leaders and companies make, and that's that everyone's money motivated. No, most people aren't. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> like I've managed hundreds of salespeople and I can tell you what, probably on one hand, how many were truly money motivated and they weren't the best people. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Uh, they weren't. So you, you have to start by managing and leading people as individuals, get with them on their level, understand what matters what, to them, understand what's going on in their world. That's how you will learn how to motivate them. And that'll buy you equity as well and the other stuff. Because listen, you can only do what you can do. You know, like when we talked about starting with resources, well, you know, that's not something that's always under your control. But if you're managing people on that personal level and you're understanding what's going on with them, you understand who they are as an individual, it will buy you equity when it comes to some of the resources you may have or, or, or may not be able to have for them. Which brings me to one other thing. I want salespeople to listen to this. One of the things I love about sales is that it's like entrepreneurship. It's the closest thing you can get to entrepreneurship and, and get, get a check from someone else. When you really take an entrepreneurial approach to sales, that'll change the game for you, right? So we just talked about accountability and leadership and everything. Sellers, I want you to understand that this is your business. Like if you want to interview like, Sellers that have worked with me over the years, they'd all say this because I've said it at, at nauseum. This is your business. Invest in it. That's one of the things that I figured out very early in my sales career as an individual contributor that, hmm, you know what? I didn't get this resource for my company, but shoot, if I invest in it, it could help with my success. So I'd buy lists. I had many, many moons ago, I was hiring telemarketers to do cold calling for me as an individual contributor. So, you know, that, that's just, I, I didn't want that. I, I wanted to leave that little nugget for, for the sellers as we're, as we're talking about this whole accountability thing and advice for leadership. Um, for individual contributors, man, take accountability. That's how you do it. So the, the overarching theme, and I think we've touched on a lot of little things about it, it's the idea that when sales as a discipline, it practice correctly, it can be a very authentic discipline, if you will, exactly the opposite of what we envision when we think about a salesperson. So what are some of the ways that you can build organic and authentic relationship while at the same time being proactive in your effort to build a relationship? You know, one of the tools that the modern tools that we have for doing that is social media. And I know that sounds like, oh, huh, social media is all about being fake and everything. No. So here's the thing. 
I encourage sellers to be active on, on social media and to be their authentic selves on social media. Here's why. It's a big world out there, people. It's a big world. And part of one of the fundamental truths that, that I teach as it relates to um, long-term success in business is to do business with and create relationships with people that you have great alignment with. Okay. So how do you get great alignment? Well, by being your authentic self. If you're that goofy person that, you know, doesn't articulate things just right all the time. Well, guess what? There are other goofy people that don't articulate things right all the time too. And they're going to connect with you. I'm not saying that, hey, just you know, go out there and put your whole life out there for the world. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that put your, your personality on display more. And if you are comfortable with sharing some of the more personal stuff about you, that could be something that will benefit you in business because it will connect with other people. And again, the overarching theme of this whole, I want you guys to, to, to pull from this is that that's the key to long-term success in business. It's connecting with people, right? That you have high alignment with. And we've got 7.7 .7 billion people on this planet now. Now, someone's going to push back and be like, well, you know, I don't want to put it because if I put myself out there, that might, it's going to be someone that doesn't like me or someone that, that is going to push back against that. So good. You want them gone. <laughs> like another thing I've, I've learned is that for me and my businesses, I want people either in or out on me. The people that are in, I can build those deep relationships with, and we're going to do business for a long time. The people that are out, I don't really want to do business with them in the first place. I don't want these superficial, just non-impactful business relationships because guess what guys they usually they end up you know going in the wrong direction they end up ending in disaster sometimes right when we do business with people where we know okay i don't really dig this person or it's not really the best fit or or whatever they, they it ends up not working out well in the long run and so we made some short-term money but it sometimes cost ourselves long-term money or maybe even lost out in the long term right so i'm all for any leveraging social media and a way to, to help put ourselves out there so that we can connect with people. I love what you're saying, because if I could restate it, reaching out to people and networking is not networking to get as many relationships as possible, which could be considered fake, but is networking to find out who are the people that you can form a true, genuine relationship with. And if you're using tools to accelerate that discovery process, ultimately, the authenticity is not into how you started the relationship, but it is in what you end up and you do with the relationship. There we go. And so you touch about one more thing, and that's going to be the final question sort of on this portion, which is when do you say no to a sale? You know, not all sales are good, you said, and it's one of the hardest thing to do as a salesperson to say no to a sale. What are some of the characteristics of situation where you're like, yeah, maybe I will not pursue that customer, maybe we'll not pursue that sale that people should be looking out for? I'll answer that by starting, let's bring it back to how I like to to teach and coach about the sales process. Starts with your ICP, your ideal client profile, right? A lot of people use that term or use the term avatar or something. And, and to me, it is far more intimate than just some analytics. So with most people, I, when, they, when they're coaching or they're talking about those, these sorts of things, they're talking about demographic stuff. When I'm talking to my clients and we're talking about ICP, I start with, hey, who do you have the, the very best results with, right? Who are those people that you knock it out the park with? When, when you do business with this person, you deliver tremendous results for them and you. It's great business for you and it's great business for them. That's your ICP. And you need to know them intimately. So we start with that. And so when you do that, I feel that it makes it much easier <laughs> to say no, because you know intimately who are those people that you deliver great results for. And if you want to build great long-term business, it starts with building that business. It's kind of like that whole that old adage. I think it's, it's in the Bible, whatever, about building on sand as opposed to, I'm sorry, not a big Bible guy, but the sand or you guys all know it. 
that foundation, right? What are you building that foundation on? If you build that business foundation on these type of customers that you have super high alignment with and you deliver great results, oh my God, you would be amazed by the success that you will have long-term. Because what happens when you deliver great results for someone? What happens is they're super happy. And what happens when they're super happy? Oh, they buy more and then they refer people to you. And now you get more people that are just like them because their networks are usually full of people that do the same things that they do. So like... I think that when you start the sales process you, with with proper ICP and understanding that ICP intimately, it becomes super easy to say no. But but when you're saying no, just make sure you do it the right way. And I don't like saying no just to say no. Say no and be of service. Always be of service. So like if it's not a great fit, articulate to that prospect, hey, look, because this is how we run our business, this I don't think will be the best fit, but here's some resources for you. Here's a connection for you because that will come back too, right? That'll come back to you. They'll, they will appreciate that. They will respect that. And here's the thing. Some of those customers might actually try to push the sell anyway, <laughs> right? And you're going to have to be disciplined enough to push back and help them with finding a resource or a connection and, and not doing business that's not going to be good for you. Because at the end of the day, and, and remember what I said, good for you and them. It's not just about the customer. It has to be good good for your business too. And when you when you have that focus, it makes it easier to say no. Great. I think this is an excellent point to stop the, the teaching and the coaching. I just want to talk for five seconds around I think you have a really cool business. One of your business that I really love is the bourbon and business. So what is that for people who are interested and how do they go about finding about that? Businessandbourbon.live. You can go there and learn about us. So, you know, business and bourbon, it's, it's something that started as a platform for me to share my thoughts and ideas on sales and business and marketing, but it's it's just become so much more. We've created a community. We've created a platform and a, a media company that's focused on helping people to connect and do better business through building deeper relationships. And we do that through events and experiences and, and content, right? So we do in-person events out throughout the country where we, we mix, we do a bit of whiskey tasting paired with some, some delicious foods prepared by uh, one of our chefs and we'll mix in speakers and panelists and create experiences that are very, that are educational, inspirational, and motivational, right? So everything that we do at Business and Bourbon is about, it's about high energy. It's, again, it's about educating people, inspiring and motivating them and helping them to connect. So whether it is one of our in-person experiences that we travel throughout the country or our virtual experiences, like our, our webinars, we really focus on and on helping people to to build those deeper relationships that that I talk about and that I preach about, not only in the book, but just as part of my core philosophy on, on doing business. Build great relationships with people that you have great alignment with, high alignment with. And if you don't have the alignment, that's fine. Like that's what we want to do. Like like I said a minute ago, for me personally, I want to know if someone's in or out on me as quickly as possible. <laughs> That's if you're out, that's fine too. It doesn't make me a bad guy. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just we're not a good fit. And I just want to get to those ends. So that's what that's part of what we try to do with business and bourbon. In addition to that, we create tons of content, um, all focused on education, inspiration, and and motivation of our community. That's great. And hopefully I'll manage to organize one of those events up here and bring you up to Boston. Let's move to the personal. Do you have a hobby or an interest outside of your work in sales and that has had a big impact on you and maybe even on your work? I'm working on that. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people know that I'm, I'm a fitness guy and I've trained my whole life, my whole adult life. It's always been part of my routine, but I wouldn't say that it's a hobby. It's just, it's like, is eating, is eating breakfast a hobby? No, it's what you do. So like, I understand the importance of it in my mental and physical health. That's just kind of what I do. Um, I'm looking for hobbies. So I will take some advice for folks. I'm playing around with different things. I did a little hiking last week. I am doing a little cycling. I, I'm looking for a good hobby because I could use one. That's great. Uh, next question. 
Is there a business expression or piece of jargon that drives you crazy? The overall cliche of salespeople as the fast talking liar, just trying to screw people over. It's just, it's so far from the truth. Does that exist? Absolutely. It exists. Right. But those are not successful salespeople. They're not like, and the, the successful sellers are people that build relationships. That's great. And then final question, I call it food for the body or food for the soul. And food for the body could be a recipe or a drink. And then food for a soul, a book, piece of music, movie, something that inspires you. And if you have both, go for it. Food for the body. As a, I'm a business and bourbon guy, so I got to do something with that's related to a little bit of uh, whiskey. So nothing better than a expertly prepared old-fashioned, right? Just uh, very simple ingredients. Good whiskey, okay? You can use bourbon or you can use rye, a, a nice simple syrup, some bitters, orange bitters, and a Luxardo cherry. That's it, man. Simply executed. Okay, food for the mind. Um, the Road Less Traveled by uh, M. Scott Peck. Game changer. It is a book. And for me, it's an audio book because I don't read. Even my own book. Audio. I'm just <laughs> Except my book. Read my book. <laughs> we'll be out in audio soon. Are you going to do your own readout of your book? I am. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. You have such a great voice that it would be a crime if it wasn't you. Ronell, it's great to reconnect. Thank you so much for helping me dismantle a few myths about what a successful salesperson looks like. I hope we get to meet in person at some point. We've had this friendship that has been fully virtual now for three or four years. So, Well, it's happening soon. We're, we're trying to get up there to Boston where we actually had a client that wanted us to come up there. So we'll see if we can make that happen. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews and ratings, please leave us a stellar rating or review. You know, places like Apple Podcasts and Good Pods. Remember to stay tuned because at the end of the credits, I will play a song by Susan Cattaneo. To find out more about Ronell and his book, Shut Up and Sell, go to ronnellrichards.com, spelled R-O-N-N-E-L-L-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S.com with two N's and two L's. And you can also find Ronell on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backslash in backslash Ronell Richards. There will be more information and links about all these other businesses on the podcast webpage. So go to the website al4ep.com with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com and go follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. Look for at al4edp on Facebook. Find the show at Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, arranged, and recorded by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. For Susan's song, given Ronell's series Bourbon and Business, the choice was a no-brainer. Just like Susan, Ronell is worth the whiskey.
Miss me Cause I'm worth the whiskey 